0: Well, good morning. I, to be honest, I've really struggled with this sermon. Uh, I think it's one of the most difficult sermons I've ever preached. The title is, Are We Losing the Value of Friendship? The subtitle I was given was, Why do men have so few friends? And how can we have great friends and my immediate response was I haven't a clue I don't have many friends I don't know how to make great friends so I'm the last person to should be preaching this message but for Matt's sake uh, and for your sake and for my sake I decided to do some research so what is friendship I picked up a book by my favorite author, C.S. Lewis, called The Four Loves, which uh, a number of you may have read. I read the chapter on friendship. In the Greek, as you may know, in the New Testament, there are four words for love. The storge, which means family affection, eros, which is sexual love, agape, self-sacrificing love, and philia is friendship. And Lewis reminds us that in the classical world of Greece and Rome, friendship was really important in intellectual circles. The great Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote a lot about friendship in his big book on ethics. He talked about friendship as a bond which was intimate, affectionate, and loyal. Intimate, affectionate, and loyal. I think that's a, a great description of, of the best friendships that I've experienced. There's another Greek philosopher called Socrates, who said that only people of virtue could be a friend to someone. So true friendship, in other words, is not just about having a drink together, or going to match together. It's got to involve some form of giving, some form of virtue, some form of self-sacrifice. Friendship to these ancient philosophers seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves. The crown of life and the school of virtue. Now, that may well be because the idea of having your wife as a friend wasn't in the culture. So these learned men would discuss ideas of literature or art or music with their friends, but probably not with their wives. But over the past 2,000 years, friendship has gone up and down and changed a lot in the popularity stakes. In uh, about 20 years ago, some of you remember, we had the friends phenomenon. Six young single adults, three male, three female, living in close proximity in New York, hanging out together, sometimes having sex together, but always having fun together. Very different from Aristotle. And as people these days have got married later in life, and teenagers have become more independent of their parents, friends, or the lack of friends, have become so important to many young people. But what is a friend to a young person today? Is it friends on Facebook? Do you know, I have 934 friends on Facebook, Can you imagine? Shows how old I am. But are they really friends? Would they come to see me if my wife died or if I had cancer? And many young people have hundreds of Facebook friends and yet they're desperately lonely. They're desperately lonely. But they have all these so-called friends Friends emerge out of a larger group. But what kind of friends are they? Are they good friends? How many friends can you have? The first century Greek philosopher Plutarch wrote, what then is the coin of friendship? It is goodwill and graciousness combined with virtue, than which nature has nothing more rare. It follows then that a strong mutual friendship with many persons is impossible. But just as rivers whose waters are divided amongst branches and channels flow weak and thin, so affection, naturally strong in a soil, if portioned out among many persons, becomes utterly enfeebled. In other words, the more you stretch it out, the weaker it gets. More recently, the anthropologist Robin Dunbar studied social groups over the centuries and found that the number of stable social connections that individuals can maintain has remained fairly constant over the last 2,000 years, at roughly 150. Within this, we each tend to have three to five people. Who constitute the small nucleus of really good friends that we go to in times of trouble, and then a wider sympathy group of 12 to 15 people who, if they die tomorrow, we would feel distraught. But today, most things, including friendship, have become both digitalized and sexualized. Even 60 years ago, in Lewis's day, single men or women who had close friendships were often suspected of being homosexual. Are those people really just friends? Or do they fancy each other? Or perhaps they're sleeping together? One of the greatest depictions of true friendship in modern times, I believe, is out of uh, Frodo Baggins and Sam Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings, my favorite book. And yet, especially out of the film version, the media have struggled to accept this as a true friendship. And they've called it bromance. Our society struggles to see f- true friendship, philia, as different from sexual attraction, eros. If a relationship is affectionate and loyal, society says it must be gay or lesbian. And that can be a hindrance to men in particular from forming deep friendships in case someone might think we're gay. But Frodo and Sam, alongside their loyalty and affection to each other, are deeply committed to a common cause their mission to destroy the ring of power, even if they die in the attempt. So their main loyalty is not so much to each other, but to the purpose that they're called to. So what's the difference between an acquaintance, a true friend, and a lover? Most of us have crowds of acquaintances. Old school or college friends, work colleagues, neighbors, people we see at church, or the pub, or the football match, or the art class. We meet out of a shared interest. We, We do stuff together. We focus on the goal. But sometimes as we're doing stuff together, maybe over coffee in the hall afterwards, we start chatting to someone and we realize we have even more stuff in common than we thought. We have a common interest in such and such. We, we, have a, we like a particular writer or artist or, or, or uh, uh, singer. So we say, let's meet for coffee sometime or a beer. And we talk more. And eventually we find that we, we can share some of our deepest thoughts and feelings with this person. And we begin to become friends. Now in some cases, this friendship can lead to eros. Friends become lovers, but not always. In many cases, we remain friends. We're not attracted to each other sexually, but we share a similar vision, a similar purpose, a similar joy, a similar excitement. And we respect each other. We may not always agree with each other, but we enjoy talking to each other. And we find we have lots to talk about. I wonder if my wife would like to join me for a moment. It's been said that lovers stand face to face and look into each other's eyes. When Jill and I had our first date, uh, and I realized this, is, this was the one, we had a meal together and we looked into each other's eyes. It was a bit disconcerting, I have to say. <laughs> At least I looked into her eyes. <laughs> But then, after the meal, we went outside, and we were in this kind of wood, and we were talking about all kinds of wonderful things, looking forwards. and I felt at that moment, gosh, we have so much in common, this is it. And friends look, stand alongside and look out towards something else, something bigger, something greater. Hopefully, of course, marriage partners can remain or become friends. But even if our wife or husband is our best friend, we still need other friends to bring out different aspects of our personality or our interests. Because no one person can fulfill every need in our lives, emotional, intellectual, creative, spiritual, and physical. And if we're not married, then friendship becomes even more important. We all need groups to belong to, interest groups, life groups, activity groups, to do stuff with. And maybe we, need, we do need Facebook friends who can keep in touch with us, cheer us up, sympathize with us, or pray for us if we're going through hard times. We also need, if we have, a group of long-standing friends. Maybe we don't see them very often. Maybe they're in, uh, far away, but we felt a close bond with them in the past. But we all need a small group. Maybe just one, maybe two or three or four of those special friends who we can ring up if we're depressed or if we're in shock or if we're bereaved or if we're dying. Because we know that they'll be there for us. In the Bible, the most famous example of friendship is David and Jonathan. Jonathan was a son and heir of King Saul who wanted to kill his rival David. But Jonathan took David's side rather than his father's, even though it would mean he he would never become king. Again, today's society sexualizes it. Most modern writers cite David and Jonathan as closet gays. And they might quote as evidence the verse that we read earlier, 1 Samuel 20, verse 41. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. But writers who say that miss the point, as they do with Frodo and Sam. David and Jonathan are not just united in affection and loyalty to each other, but to a greater cause, of fulfilling the Lord's prophecy to David through Samuel that God had chosen him to be the king over Israel. So it's their faithfulness to the Lord and his promises that draws them and keeps them together, as we see in the next verse, verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Because we've sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. This wasn't a temporary flirtation. This was a, 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 a bonding of families in the name of the Lord. So true friendship is looking beyond ourselves towards the truth, the vision, the revelation that we've seen and being open and vulnerable with another person who's seen the same vision. That's why I think it's difficult but not impossible for a Christian to have deep friendships with a non-Christian unless we share similar experiences. But what's the difference between fellowship and friendship? One is more to do with the things we have in common with every Christian. Wherever we might go in the world, we, we have things in common. We, have the, we share in the Holy Spirit. We share in the Word of God. We share in Holy Communion. We share in the, the, the creeds and confessions that have been handed down to us over the centuries. And over coffee after service this morning, or in our life groups, we can share in fellowship. We can share thoughts on Scripture. We can ask for prayer. We can pray for each other. But it's not the same as Friendship. Friendship is a deeper thing. I believe friendship is first of all about commonality. It's about discovering a very special insight or interest or mission that we have in common. And there won't be many people who share that with us. Discovering that commonality And secondly, it's about mutual respect. Gosh, I really respect this person. I'd really like to get to know them, discover more about them. And thirdly, it's about vulnerability. I think I can trust this person to open up my deepest feelings and thoughts and weaknesses. I think I can trust them. The Old Testament says uh, a few helpful things about friendship. Proverbs eighteen twenty four, A man of many companions may come to ruin. Many Facebook friends won't necessarily help you. But there is a friend who sticks closer than the brother. A good friend will be there for us when we need them. Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. A good friend will tell us the truth, even when it hurts. And that's the kind of friend that we need and we're called to be. Not just a flatterer, but a true friend. But the New Testament focuses on the most important friendship, our friendship with Jesus. In John 3, verse 29, says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. We are called to be the friend of Jesus, the bridegroom king, to help prepare his bride, the church, for his coming again as we hear his voice and obey him. And in that famous passage from John 15, Jesus called his disciples, who were very different from each other, maybe didn't get on. He called them his friends. And he tells us there what that might mean for us. Let's just read these familiar verses, verses 12 to 15 of 1 Corinthians of uh, John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And we see here the keys to being a friend of Jesus. I'm going to look at them in reverse order. Verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus discloses the secrets of his heart to his friends. What a wonderful privilege that is when we feel he's sharing something with us, some secret, some mystery, some insight, some revelation. He wants to share his heart with his friends. And then verse 14. You are my friend. If you do what I command you. We're his friends when we do what he tells us. When we don't do that, then in a sense, we, we block ourselves off from his being fr- his friends, don't we? If we're his friends, we're in tune with him, we're, we're listening to him, we're doing what he tells us to do. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. And he calls us to be prepared to lay down our lives for him and maybe even for each other. And verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus calls us all to be his friends, but also to be friends of each other in, in, in different, different levels, different levels of friendship. But he calls us even if we don't know each other very well, to love one another. Jesus invites us into a deep and eternal friendship with himself. And out of that friendship, he calls us to love each other as fellow friends of Jesus. Jesus is a friend who will never let us down, never neglect us, never reject us, who will always be there for us. And with his help, he wants us to be there for each other at whatever level is appropriate. So can we just pray together now? Let's just pray for a few moments as to where we go from here in terms of our friendship with Jesus and our potential friendship with others within the church or maybe outside the church. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to be your friends. And that's a high calling, a very high calling. And Lord, we long to be worthy of that calling. We long, Lord, to be able to listen to you, to hear your voice, to obey your commands, to be ready to sacrifice ourselves for you, to love each other. And Lord, we thank you for each member of this church. We pray, Lord, that you would show us where we can be a friend, Maybe there's someone in this church, Lord, who can be one of our close group of friends that we so need. Maybe there's someone here who we can turn to if we're really struggling. Maybe we don't know them very well yet. Lord, show us if there's someone here you want us to get close to. Maybe there are others, Lord, that we just need to get a little bit closer who will never be our best friend, but will be a close friend. Lord, we all need friends, and we pray. We know we can't manufacture friends, but Lord, we pray that you would draw us to those you're calling us to, that we might love them, support them, help them, and be mutually blessed by them. Amen.